Well, I thought that was, you didn't answer me back, so I figured if I put Milfi in there, you'd go running over to see it. Because <laughs> I know your style. Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's October 22nd, 2009. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination, episode 141. This is no agenda. Reading the Bacchus Bill so you don't have to, because, hey, it's what we do. And coming to you from the minimum security containment cell in Gitmo Nation West, San Francisco, California, I'm Adam Curry. And from Foggy Bottom, Northern Silicon Valley, I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Craig Bottom Buzzkill in the morning. And John, may I say right off the bat, happy Cap, happy International Caps Lock Day. What? <laughs> happy International Caps Lock Day. Where did that one come from? That, uh, it's uh, apparently on June twenty eighth. It's come. It comes twice a year. <laughs> well, yeah, because you got to turn the caps lock on, on and, and off, off. Of course, it comes on uh, October twenty second and June twenty eighth. Wonder who dreamed that one up? Oh, there's a whole forum. It's uh, capslockday.com. Caps lock. I wrote an entire column about caps lock once for PC computing, and you know the editor says you can't write one whole column just complaining about caps lock. <laughs> Did you I write said, it in uppercase? Me. Did you write it in uppercase? No. <laughs> This um, back in the days of uh, of radio when we had liner cards, you remember those, where the program director would basically give you a stack of uh, there's like a little stack of um, index cards, recipe index cards that would actually be in a recipe index card box uh, on the console in the studio, and on the clock you'd have like you know either seven after the hour or you know once or twice during during the hour you'd have to read a liner card. And so you'd pick the front one out of the stack, and after you were done reading it, you'd put it at the back. And they were always in uppercase, all caps. And to this day, um, my radio hero, Scott Shannon, who uh, was one of the inventors of the morning zoo format, in the morning, still writes emails to me in all uppercase caps lock. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it is, cause it's, and you can't read it. You know, it's like, ah! Stop! You're hurting well, my, I know my that, eyes. I know that. In front, one of the things I've always wanted to do is do a, uh, do have some little outlet to, to write PSAs because I uh, I never I never worked on a commercial station where, we, but I read a lot of PSAs on non-commercial stations, right. and PSAs were always written that way, double spaced, uppercase. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it, because apparently the timing would take one second to read a line and you could you could time it out just by typing it out, and uh, so you could do a thirty second one with just thirty quick lines. Well, that's but still it, that's still how copy is written. On do you remember those television copy sheets where you'd have the lines and they'd be spaced in a certain way that if you filled up a line that would be exactly one second and that's how they back time uh, segments. Right. Yeah. Depends on how fast you read, but in fact, they're supposed to be timed out to one second. But it's always, always all uppercase mm-hmm. and in a certain font that was, you know, typewriter. I guess there's some big typewriters, you know, Elite or whatever. I can't remember the names of the typewriter fonts anymore. Uh, Pika? I don't know what it was, what they call it. Is it Pika or Pika? It's Pika. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. So we got a lot of news over the last few days. You know, this is one of those days where I'm like, because first of all, I had a lot of time uh, during the week. I had, you know, I wasn't traveling for once, and uh, I had a pretty slow meeting schedule. And let's face it, I don't really do any fucking work. So <laughs> I'm just sitting behind my You're computer. You're just a and, suit. Yeah.
yeah, a suit, not even wearing a suit. And, uh, <clears throat> and dude, I've got like three pages of links. There is so much news that came out. This is one of these days when I'm like, please, please, producers, give us enough money so I can quit my day job. You know, I'm the thing is, is that, that I actually had to cut back on a couple of the clips. I think I sent a bunch in. Yeah, yeah uh, like eight or nine, I think. But let's start with a, yeah, I don't have a list in front of me, but there's a, uh, I think we should start the day off because it's going to be kind of heavy later. To start with a little light, a light clip, and and play the fake commercial. Okie dokie. <laughs> Who could forget that one? Hi, I'm the mayor of comedy, here to tell you about a new CD offer, sitcom punchlines of the 80s, including such gems as, I think it's time for plan B, smooth move, X-Lax, and that went well. Also, check please, plus open mouth, insert foot, and wait, if you're here, then that means, oh boy. <laughs> Order now and receive Sounds of the 80s Studio Audience, which includes Trouble Brewing, as well as Sweet Moment, and of course, Ethnic Kiss. <laughs> this is an offer you don't want to miss, but don't take my word for it. Hear what 80s mainstay Howard Hessman has to say about it. I love it. Would Howard Hessman lie for weed? We don't think so. Order now. That's courtesy of the family guy. Howard Hessman was uh, Dr. Johnny Fever, wasn't he, on uh, WKRP? Yeah. 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 I was up for, for the, you remember the remake of WKRP? Yeah. Uh, I auditioned for that, and they, and they I basically gave me the gig, but my ex-wife wouldn't move to L.A. with me. Oh. And, of course, the show failed. Yeah. In the morning! May have done well with you on it. Yes. My point exactly. Yeah, I, I, I got to... I want to start, you know, let me give you a link, uh, and people in the, in the chat room at noagendachat.com can follow along. If you go to drop.io slash WSJ underscore insult, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll Skype that to you, John, because I know you can't remember anything. Huh? <laughs> Here it is. Uh, actually, I'll paste it into the chat room as well. So, um, uh, a little bit of disclosure, although, I really didn't think much of it at the time, but you've probably heard about this huge insider trading scandal on Wall Street involving uh, a hedge fund called Galleon. And what's interesting about this uh, this story, well, there's two two things that are interesting. One is I've met all these guys. They have a, a they have an office on Sand Hill Road in uh, in Silicon Valley, and they have and they're actually a reasonably respectable. Uh, they have a reasonably respectable venture capital arm, and they do it from their hedge fund. And their hedge fund is huge. So I've met this guy, Raj Rajatnam, uh, who you see uh, in pictures being led away in handcuffs. And what was troubling me about this whole story is the amount. Because apparently he enriched himself with $22 million due to insider trading. And I'm like, $22 million, that, that's like a rounding error on this guy's salary. And he's like the 236th wealthiest person in America. He's a multi-billionaire. Like, this stinks. It really, really stinks. And so, of course, as you start reading into it, you, know, you, you start figuring out, well, you know, geez, this makes so much sense. This is just a huge distraction to hide all the real theft, all the billions of dollars of theft that is being perpetrated by... 
Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase uh, with you know the high velocity trading and stealing TARP money, all all this shit. It's just to to make it look like. Of course, we now have the new SEC ex Goldman Sachs uh, shill who's uh, running the fraud division of the SEC. So it looks like they're really doing something, and it's on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. And as I'm reading through these articles, I don't know if you brought up that link by now, John. Yeah. Um, I'm like, wh- who reads the Wall Street Journal? <laughs> Because they have a basically a cartoon. Um, oh, I just lost the link here. It's basically our cartoon of how it works, how insider trading, <laughs> how insider trading works. Yeah. It's like one of those comic books that explains philosophy. Yeah, and it's literally like insider gives information. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's pretty stupid. It's like, and it, it literally starts off with insider gives information to uh, uh, from uh, insider at Moody's gives information to someone at Galleon. Galleon then buys uh, buys shares. The information comes out. The shares go up. Galleon sells and then pays off the informant. Like, duh! It's like a USA Today comic, and like so. Actually, illustration is the better word. Yes, illustration. And it's like, I can't, I can't believe, and, I, and I'm like, okay, I'm never reading the Wall Street Journal again. It is just too <laughs> stupid. A lot of people believe, well, you know, they've decided to dumb it down very slowly, and that's... It's now a Murdoch publication, right? He owns it. Yeah. No, oh, there you go. But it's well, like, he owns the London, the London Sunday Times, too, and it's not, you know, that they don't do any dumbing down there. Or do they? Uh, I beg to differ. I mean, it's okay. all it's all dumbed down, and and that's that'll be my uh, my theme for uh, for today, or at least the rest of the week, is that very very slowly. I believe that the masses are starting to see how it's done. You know, we we are we're showing people how there's media distractions. So you know the the basic. Uh, oh, please uh, don't look over don't here. Don't look over here. Nothing to see here. Ooh, look at that. So that everyone's busy with Balloon Boy while the Bacchus Bill is being negotiated backstage. You know, not on C-SPAN as promised, but in in secret. Um, we get these huge. Oh, and by the way. This is also against the Indian cabal, and there's no doubt about it. This is totally, if you read all the Wall Street Journal articles about this, and the whole first three pages are about this $22 million huge scandal. Um, by the way, we didn't take any investment from them. I just might want to point that out. Um, you know, it's it's clear that there's just a couple things going on. Wall Street, now that, now that Wall Street has eaten everybody else's lunch, they're eating themselves. And they're using, and, and yeah. they're gnawing off their own legs. <laughs> they are. That's totally what's happening. Like, who can I eat today? And you know, there's going to be like basically one guy left, Goldman Sachs. That's going to be it, and and they'll be running the show. Well, um, we should just give them the government now. I think they already have it. You know, if I look at, well, not I think I know. I mean, look at Timmy Geithner, and he's just, you know, he's like... So how come every night on the on the nightly news, Obama is someplace other than Washington, D.C., giving another speech? <sighs> I know. He was in... Um, he was just doing another fundraiser. And he was in San Francisco, like, no, a couple days. he was days. in San Francisco, but then Tuesday, he was he was somewhere else. I actually wrote it down somewhere. He was doing another fundraiser in, I think, Boston, maybe? The guy doesn't do anything for us. 
<laughs> All he does is go floating around, giving speeches and talks and complaining. Now he's complaining about, you know, I mean, he has a, he still has, complains very well, I have to say. Oh, so here's one, here's one I want to get it. You know, we talked about this in previous shows. I just want to run this one by you because I've been baffled by this particular story. Uh, over the last uh, week, there have been three quote unquote Domestic terrorist things going on. Oh, By the yeah. way, that's oh, the yeah. meme term. Domestic, domestic, domestic terrorist. Yeah, yeah, or, or domestic bread. You know, domestic <laughs> homegrown is another one. A <laughs> domestic bread. I like the domestic weed, man. The domestic weed is the best. But the the, the, the other meme to look out for is homegrown terrorists. So it can be the, Department of Domestic Security. <laughs> so homegrown terrorist is the is is you know is what we're starting to see because that, that makes you know it's all Patriot Act stuff so yes, you can get the Patriot totally, Act totally. actually put more give it more teeth give the Patriot Act more teeth. Well, what, what, uh, doesn't this f- come right along with that memo that came out that uh, to all law enforcement saying you know we really have to be on the lookout for domestic terrorists and there are people who. Uh, voted for Ron Paul, carry around yeah, a copy well, of the Constitution, that, right. or actually listen to No Agenda. You yeah, that, did, that actually went over. That went over like a lead balloon. So they've had to change it. So that so now they're bringing out news stories, and they just keep bringing up this homegrown. Another another example of a homegrown. Oh God, homegrown. So this week there was three incidents. One of them was some Muslim guy who is a homegrown terrorist, Muslim convert, and he was plotting against somebody or other because they caught him. You know, but they couldn't find the auto. They couldn't buy any automatic weapons to carry out yeah, their plot. Yeah, automatic weapons. Up, yeah, kill people in a mall. Yeah, okay, yeah, with automatic weapons we're going to blow people up no okay so that that but they arrested him anyway I and mean, it looks like a some sort of a guy looks like a like a mole if you ask me wait does he have a beard yeah no he fits the bill perfect yeah he's got he looks like the right type he's got yeah. the beard it's not a big giant beard like like a good taliban would have but he's got the beard. <laughs> hey wait a minute let's call central casting they got to send us some better actors damn it <laughs> get the real beard out there buddy. <laughs> get some good dudes in here okay right so anyway so there's these three incidents this week and and every one of them you know there's a guy's going to shoot up a mall and there's a guy who runs over his daughter cuz she's too westernized and oh, yeah. these headlines are always the same a man does this a man does that a man does this but then there's this third incident and it keeps citing the guy's name in the headline as though it's some sort of code for some for like the CIA or somebody. It keeps coming up. John Breck arrested. John Breck arrested. And then they had it on a crawl. Ah. I saw the crawl on Fox. It said John Breck arrested. John Breck arrested. Newark security guard making terrorist threats against Obama. At a coffee cart. The guy was drinking cart. some coffee, and he's like, he probably said, like, damn, damn president. Boom. But why, are the, why is his name John in the headline? Breck. Would be, why isn't man arrested in Newark, you know, or something like that? Why is it John that's, Breck? That's interesting. You know, in, uh, in many countries in Europe, in, um, and of course, it, this is always used at the government, uh, government's discretion, you actually can't use someone's full name in the press until they have been convicted. 
because you can get sued for libel. Yeah, but so, they, but he's just arrested. He wasn't convicted of anything. But in fact, there there could be a, a suit here. Well, yeah, right. if you say John Breck arrested for domestic terrorism, you can. Well, so he says it would be John B. is typically what they do. Yeah, well, this one is. But why would they use it? Normally, it would be written a man arrested in Newark, a security guard accused of making terrorist threats against Obama. And so, why is this John Breck's name? I it just seems to me like somebody somewhere is a wait for the name John Breck to show up, then make your move. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Because John Breck is not an is not some guy named that we all know, John Breck. Now, if it, said John, if it said John Galt arrested, I'd, it would get my interest. There we go. Uh, Another I mean, Atlas Shrug plug right at the beginning of the show. To get it in nonetheless. <laughs> well, I just Googled John Breck, and there's a couple of interesting references to John Breck. What's this? Uh, 1939 Archpriest and Theologian of the Orthodox Church in America. Mm. I, anyway, your point is well made. It's like, huh? Like we're supposed to know John Breck. And I think maybe that's kind of like a a psyops move, you know? So it comes across as, oh, well, they, of course, John Breck, you know, the guy that they were after, the domestic terrorist. John Breck, they got him. Whoo! Whoo! <laughs> let, let, let me call my representative and tell him to extend that Patriot Act right now. Woohoo! Yeah, they finally got John Breck. So, uh... And what's really actually kind of humorous about in the Huffington, they got Breck spelled one way in the headline and another way with a C in it in the uh, in, in the, the slug in, in the Huffington Post. Yeah, yeah, that's total a CIA. That's a CIA outfit. You know they are. What is the deal with that Ariana Huffington anyway? <laughs> I have no idea. Why is she? Why you know? I remember all of a sudden she was. She appeared on the scene. I was like, "Oh, Ariana!" And I'm just like, "Isn't she the wife of some rich dude?" Yeah. You know, some and, kind, and, some, and, some sort of some very fey character who ran for governor. Yeah, and she would have been really milfy guy. twenty years ago, and now she's just like you know. Now she's like Ava Gabor, only old. <laughs> totally Ava Gabor with the same exact <laughs> accent. Yeah, and that would have been hot if she were a little bit younger. But she's like, uh eh. It doesn't work for me. Anyway, so I'm just concerned about this John Breck thing. There's something fishy about it. Well, I I do agree that that they're really pushing the domestic terrorism. And you're right, the meme is domestic this, domestic that, and homegrown. And why, if if all the you know if all the terror is homegrown, can we leave Afghanistan, please? Because we know there's only 100 Al Qaeda there. So let those 100 guys participate in a circle jerk. Come on back. Stand at the airport. Stand at the ports. You know, stand along the border and don't let them in if you're really that concerned, which, of course, you aren't. <laughs> so the uh, since I've got the, the I've got apparently I've got hold of the of the box of the sounds. I want to play a clip another another meme that's starting up on. You know how every week and people out there should know that one of the themes that we do on the show is that we try to see what the right wing is creating as a distraction to talk about. And right now it's essentially nothing but the medic the uh, the uh, medical. Bill, the health bill, health care. Sorry, uh, health care insurance reform, as our well, president has yeah, reminded us. So the health care thing is all they're concerned about. The the left wingers have been kind of flopping around. I mean, the the balloon boy thing died off a little too prematurely. So I think <laughs> I figured out what the next big thing is that everybody wants to talk about. Okay. 
play uh, heroin. <laughs> That's new? All right. Groups hope to undermine troop effectiveness while raising cash for weapons and recruiting. Uh, they already generate much of the cash at the Taliban through the sale of heroin to the world. It could be a very effective strategy for the Taliban. In fact, here at the morning meeting, sources tell us serious drug use by U.S. soldiers has actually doubled in the last four years. And anecdotally, you talk to soldiers in Afghanistan, they spend most of their time sitting around uh, waiting for a mission, uh, which only opens up that much more of an opportunity to take some heroin. Uh, and here to discuss <laughs> Hey, John, you know what I'm doing at the office all day when I'm just sitting around? I'm just thinking, thinking maybe we should just do some heroin, man. It's like, <laughs> because that's I, the first thing I that got, comes to I mind. I've got nothing better to do. By the way, if this doesn't prove the inc- the entire <laughs> fractal <laughs> of <laughs> Vietnam, that's exactly what happened, you know, or at least that's what we were told, is uh, yeah, troops are just sitting around there waiting for the VC, and then uh, <laughs> we just did some heroin. <laughs> And, you know, instead of what, you know, it, well, anyway, so they bring an expert on during this little segment but it kind who, of is like, that- who comes up with the biggest crock of crap that I've ever heard. He's like, he, I don't think he knows anything. So he's just kind of making it up as he goes along. So is it, but, wait, so they're actually drawing. the. So what they're saying is because there is um, uh, an, an intense amount of uh, production of poppy uh, and thus opium in Afghanistan, that soldiers just like walk into the village and say, "Hey, yo, give me some heroin." Like, it, like they go to their local dealer. You know, this is not how it works. You know, most of that stuff isn't really refined and sellable on the street or usable until it hits the you know the Wall Street companies who the government is shipping it to. So it's just it's 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 a ridiculous connection. Yeah, well, it gets worse. Listen. Osner, uh, also uh, author of Miami Babylon, joins us from Miami. Uh, also in the conversation, former CIA special agent Jack Rice, who is going to Afghanistan in just a couple of weeks to make a variety of assessments, not the least of which uh, the heroin problem. Uh, Gerald, you broke the story. What is the pro- what is the scale of the problem? Well, this go. is the CIA guy, or is this? Uh, no, this is the book author. The book, okay, of Miami Babylon. Is that a new? Is that I a new show? Is that a new show on Bravo? <laughs> Miami Babylon. Well, you know, right now, Dylan, we're looking at just the, uh, what we hope is going to be the beginning. The tip of the iceberg. Beginning of this, but they're preparing. No, you say what we hope is the beginning of it. What do they want to make it, want to make it worse? We hope. I hope there's more so I can have more appearances on your show. Well, you know, right now, Dylan, we're looking at just the, uh, what we hope is going to be the beginning of this, but they're preparing. And when I say they, the Army and the Veterans Administration is preparing in their hospitals for what might be a deluge. Because, look, in Vietnam, we ended up with a, nearly a 20% addiction rate to China White, the heroin that was coming. China White, baby. Snow. China White. What is he using slang? From the adjacent Golden Triangle. The Soviets in the 1980s went back uh, to Russia with a major heroin problem. And today, Russia is the number one consuming heroin country on the planet as a result of those returning uh, uh, Soviet fighters. Today's Taliban are yesterday's Mujahideen who fought the Soviets. They understand that this is an additional weapon. They are getting their money as you... Didn't we set up the Mujahideen? Didn't the CIA set that up? Yeah. So that's his next guest. You said from the heroin and opium crop, 90% of the opium, and they're looking at the possibility of hooking Americans not only on the cheap heroin, but according to the U.S. intelligence report and picking up of conversations, they developed the ability now for smokable heroin. Their labs didn't have that before. Okay, stop right there. 
What he's talking about from 1980 just until recently, they never had smokable heroin. Isn't wasn't doesn't the, the the term chasing the dragon specifically refer to smoking heroin? And that term became popular in the 70s. Well, there's something different. This I mean, is bullshit. Yeah, I mean, you can smoke heroin. It's, it's not like you get a different kind for smoking. Yeah, it's smokable heroin. It's just like it's and just, the fact of the matter is, they're probably smoking opium anyway. Since that's the stuff that would be around. Yeah, because there is no heroin out there. It's not like, oh. And so, you know, what do you smoke? What's that black goop you're smoking there? Oh, it must be some new development. <laughs> ah, new drug. Oh, my gosh. They're t- this is a new form of warfare. We're going to get our troops high. Number of conversations. They developed the ability now for smokable heroin. They're- Develop the availability. The ability, the, the ability. You know, he's kind of his wordage uses for a writer is pretty crappy. So I don't know what it, play that again. See what he says. Developed the ability now for smokable heroin. Their labs didn't have that before. Oh, their labs didn't have that before. Now I get it. Okay. <laughs> this makes it a much easier way to try to get it around. This is concern to army uh, to army officers I talked to. Uh, did you hear what he said? This is concern to our media. He stumbled. Let me hear that again. Let me hear that again. Didn't have that before. This makes it a much easier way to try to get it around. This is concern to army uh, to army officers I talked to. To our media, (laughs) our media should be all over this shit. Damn it! You know what? This first of all, this guy screw you, because you know I have high respect and regard for the men and women in service. I come from a long line of government issue. And, you know, there's some real patriots, even though they've been thrown into some bullshit place for a bullshit war of bullshit necessity. You know, you, this, is, this, is, this is a very, very, very anti-patriotic, horrible uh, assertion to make. It's, it's wrong. Yeah, and by the way, any, any vet out there who's actually done duty in Afghanistan that listens to this show, I suppose there's a guy or two, uh, send, us a, uh, send us a briefing. Uh, we won't use your name if you don't want us to. Uh, explaining what's actually going on over there regarding these accusations. And, and I'll just tell you that the, the, the largest users of cocaine and heroin, and this is fact, provable, uh, and documented many, many times over, uh, outside of crack, I'll just put that off to the side, is it's going to be your doctor, it's going to be your lawyer, it's going to be, uh, let me think, guys on Wall Street. These are the people who are really using the stuff and who can actually afford it. You know, this is not like, you know, grunts sitting there in the sandstorm. Ugh. Bored. <laughs> Bored. What got, are you doing here, Jim? You want to play some, some cards? I got no, nothing to do. No, let's do some heroin. Hey, there's this new smokable stuff. Have you tried it yet? It's really cool. Yeah, it's, that's... Uh that's, so that's, this is something they're trying to get. This is a meme they're trying to. They're they're pulling and pulling on the starter of the engine, you know, of the yeah. of the uh, rope that starts the little engine. So I, so I just like to to recall the history. The Taliban had actually obliterated all poppy um, growth in Afghanistan. They got rid of it, and if you look at the camps, if you look at the camps that are set up, they are actually surrounding the poppy fields because the US army and whatever bits of coalition is out there as well are actually guarding this 
because it is all about it's about the pipeline going through Afghanistan and it's about drugs drugs that need to be uh, uh, all studies say that 90% of opium is grown in Afghanistan and it's used it's, a lot of it is used for medical purposes morphine etc uh, it's a, it's a it's a real business and it's being shipped back on uh, military cargo planes to the United States where it's sold and that money is flushed into Wall Street. And this is known, you know, Google Mina, Arkansas. Clinton was a big part of that back in the day. And this, and this is what this is all about. And now they're pushing it off on, first of all, how hard is it? You know, oh, we can't stop, we can't stop the transport. Oh, please. I mean, what, what, they have, like camels going through the desert taking this stuff back to the U.S.? No, it's going out on planes. It's not that hard to stop it. It's crap. John? You know what's, uh, well, you know what's also interesting, and I got you, I'm going to play one more clip, um, is the, if you ever see these, they show these pictures of these poppy fields, and they usually show them after the poppies are mature and dried up. Yeah, when, they, they, when they've opened up, after they become flower. Well, they flower, and then the flower dies, and then you live. I, I've actually read everything there is to know about cultivating poppies for the, for the purposes of this show. And <laughs> yes, of course you did. It, it, well, it was interesting, to be honest about it. But anyway, they show these. They constantly show soldiers wandering through these fields. These fields are with a soldier standing there. It's like, what is he doing there? Why don't they throw a match on the ground? And this stuff is already dried up. Yeah, because they're there to protect it. And that's just the photo op field, by the way. Yeah, who knows what else is going on? So I want to play. I want to play a clip from Kit Bond, which is crazy senator. This is a Republican from Missouri, a rape Republican, I might add, uh-huh. a pro-rape Republican, going on and on about how we need more soldiers and blah blah blah. To play the clip and let the thing run to the end. It's very. It's got a punchline. I presume it's idiot senator. Yeah, idiot senator. That's what I. Defense know. Secretary Gates waved a red flag recently, noting that the United States cannot wait for questions surrounding the legitimacy of the Afghan government to be resolved before a decision on General McChrystal's troop request is made. He understands what I believe is a simple truth: the longer we wait, the stronger and more determined the enemy gets. Just read the papers. Violence is up uh, this season over last. Violence is up this year over the last. The Taliban continues to gain influence in parts of Afghanistan. We keep fighting with what we have, but the insurgents keep getting stronger. We cannot and must not wait any longer for a decision. Good morning, Vietnam! <laughs> in the morning! All right, good one. You got me. Okay, now here's the deal. You did some so homework. I was listening to I this like idiot going on and on about it, and I was thinking about what is the – as we're approaching winter – in Afghanistan, yeah, yeah. The, the number of casualties starts to go down because people just actually stop fighting because it's a miserable place and yeah, cold. You just want to sit in your tent and do, and do some smokable heroin. What is the rush of getting people over? So I did a little research as I did on my opium thing. Well, it turns out that within the next two to four weeks is when the final poppy harvest comes into ah, play. And okay. we need the 40,000 guys, like to, you said a minute yeah, ago. To go harvest it and ship it no, off. No, they wouldn't be harvesting it. They're just going to guard it because yeah. obviously... Obviously, they can't get involved in harvesting, even though when you start reading the, the documentation, there seems to be some fishy stuff going on, especially with the Canadian troops, by the way. So I did some research, and in fact, it's there's, uh, poppies take 120 days to get to, to maturity, and then typically you let them get, there's a there's like a point of, that lasts only about seven days where the amount of, of 
opium juice is the right <laughs> consistency. It's not too runny. You know, it's just called perfect. opium juice, is it? <laughs> it's the little juice. It is a juice that comes out of that that bulb. You excuse. Yeah, and you have to be careful you don't go dig. I, I got a link for the show notes that d- d- there's a guy that's just a, a poppy nutball who goes on with every detail. If you want to grow some poppies in your backyard, even though it's illegal. And they I'm grow right. everywhere, right? They're real easy to grow. Yeah, they're very easy to grow, and it's a gorgeous. I saw it's a, a, it's a beautiful flower. It looks really nice. The red ones in particular are mm-hmm. quite gorgeous. Sure, uh, I saw some red ones up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Somebody had them in their field, and I can, you can identify them real easy because they got this big bulb, and they're really pretty. But anyway, so you, you, there's a, just a very short period of time. They've got to get these forty thousand troops over there. For the poppies, because the harvest is is due, and they need to, you know, they got like about three or four weeks. And every report you see for the, and it, by the way, if you look into the government documents, it says that the planting season is May to June, which matches the 120 days plus 10 days for the poppy harvest. Coming up, like you know, at the end like of this October. week, like coming up now, well, at the end of October, it looks like November first, probably, and then you know through throughout November because they they obviously they stagger it a little bit because they don't want everything you know mature at the same time. So they plant from May to June uh, for two months, and then they harvest for two months. Right, and they need these people over there, obviously, because what else is the rush for? Why is Kit Bond? And what's he got to do with it? Why is he? Uh, by the way, that's only a small clip of this guy ranting about why. Are you McChrystal wanted more. He wants more troops. Well, let's give him more troops. We got to do it now. We got to do it now. We got to do it now. And he's like in a big rush. I mean, who's huh. telling him to talk like this? Huh. I love that assertion, John. I think it's more than just an assertion. I think it is a, a valid theory. And I'm glad that you're on my side uh, on uh, of the fence on this one because it makes so much sense. There'll be so much activity, so much moving back and forth. You get those guys in, lots of things flying, completely untrackable, and that's how uh, they guard it, they harvest it, they bring it back. And what else are you going to do in the wintertime? Yeah. I love it. So they may have, they, I think they probably do two seasons. It sounds like you can't get too much documentation on this. The last uh, good article was written in, uh, I, I've noticed that if you start reading about the ho- the poppy harvest, you'll see, see the the date, the dead, or the dateline on most of these articles is l- late November. There was one last year in the LA Times, November 28th, talking about the harvest. And a lot of and, these uh, links that you research will be, in the, you sent them to me, and so I have them in the, they'll be in the show notes at uh, noagendashow.com. Right. Anyway, but it's it's just, and there's also the link to the guy who's the poppy nut, who's just. I mean, you read this guy, and he just tells you all these details. Wow, that's interesting. Amazing, absolutely amazing. But anyway, this Kit Bond is a bad actor. What's uh? He's what, a pro rape Republican from Missouri, and you Missourians should get him out. Yeah, all of those pro rape Republicans should be out. All of them. Well, well, by the way, here so there's so there's a new website called it's called you can look at it republicansforrape.org. Republicansforrape.org. And and by the way, nobody on MSNBC or even Fox that I could tell have mentioned this. The Department of Defense and the White House are against the Franken bill. Really? They're also pro Well, of course the Department of Defense is against it because it's all about the contractors they're hiring. So that, Oh, I love the, the little banners. <laughs> you get banners for your website from republicansforrape.org. Cool. <laughs> Let me just save that to the show notes. That's fantastic. Oh, Yeah, of course. Well, there's something else I noticed about the Department of Defense. And uh, it was kind of underreported. Uh, but you may have seen that they... Uh, 
They arrested an, a spy, John. Uh, a scientist was arrested on spy charges and um, because apparently he tried to sneak out two thumb drives, which the TSA noticed at the airport as he was flying to uh, abroad. I think he was flying to uh, maybe to Israel. And uh, so when they came back, they uh, they nabbed the guy. And uh, they say, oh, what was on these thumb drives? It was, uh, you know, uh, it was very important classified information, nuclear, in, about nuclear uh, warfare. And um, so I'm following up on this guy. And I'm, uh, actually, this was another Wall Street Journal uh, picture. I can just find it here. Uh, well, it'll be in the show notes somewhere. And uh, and so this is one of the guys who was on the on the dais talking to the press when uh, what I thought was NASA was going to go bomb the moon. And uh, the only thing that's interesting about the picture is he's holding up a, you know, a, a, a big cardboard picture. Here it is. Space scientist has held his spine. This is it. Um, actually, I'm not going to tell you what. I'm gonna sh- I want you to look at this link, John, and you tell me what you see, what is strange. So you don't have to read the story, but just look at look at the picture. His name is Stuart Nozette, and uh, this is a briefing about uh, the original L Cross project, which of course was the moon bombing, which we we now know was actually intended to uh, to bomb someone else's moon base. Had nothing to do with finding water. But now, but now, look at look at this picture, John. Do you have it? Wait, wait, wait! You just you just basically gave a leap of faith commentary there that that has not been discussed on the show. Yes, it has. What bombing somebody's base? Yeah, they, of course. We, it wasn't about water. It was about bombing no, someone you, else's you, moon base. No, we've never talked about this. Oh well, I'm sorry. Oh, it's about bombing the other moon bases there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, and and now look at the picture, and what do you see? You see, so the guy is holding up the big picture. He's in the middle. Okay, now where are they standing? Is that NASA? No, it's the Pentagon. It's the Pentagon, exactly. So this was an, uh, a NASA scientist who uh, attempted to pass on top-secret nuclear and space secrets to a shill, an FBI agent. He thought he was passing it on to the Mossad, and you read some of the tra- transcripts of the phone calls they taped, and uh, he actually says, oh, I was wondering when you guys were going to call me, because, of course, it was uh, Israeli moon bases that uh, uh, that we bombed. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, this is this goes way, way yeah, deep. Yeah, from John. that great Israeli uh, moon project. Okay, so let's let's. There, there's something fishy about this the the story with this guy. Well, the the uh, point for, is the guy is saying that the end is near for Israel. Okay, because Israel is actually coming down. That's what that's what what the what the theory is in all of this. Okay, and and the reason why, because there's more behind it, is the Catholic Church. Well, before you drive the show off the track completely, I want to don't want to interrupt for one second and announce that we do have an executive producer oh, this week. Yes, please forgot to bring him in, Mart Matt. Sorry, Matt. Matt uh, Sharp. Pontier, C-H-A-R-P-E-N-T-I-E-R. He is uh, Fargo, North Dakota based. Right on. And he gave us $188.90. Thank you and very much. 1889 is 1889, which is the year 
that North Dakota became a state, and Matt is uh, this week's executive producer, and he can uh, put that on his resume. Put, put it on his resume, and we'll vouch for you. All you have to do is just send us uh, whatever you want, and we'll sign it. No problem. Okay, so the reason why this all fits in with the Catholic Church. Um, Pope, is this from the Dan Brown book? No, 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 no. Pope Benedict the what is he now? The sixteenth or whatever? Who of course we know was a, a Hitler Jugend. There's no secret about that. Everybody knows that. So he's basically a Nazi. He um changed the way the Vatican and the way the Catholic Church works uh by basically creating a church within a church within a church. He gave an order uh that allows people who broke away into the Church of England, and, and I don't know a lot about this background, but this is stuff from Henry VIII and Queen Elizabeth I. In, uh, in, 19, uh, I'm sorry, 19, in 1534, Henry VIII broke away from Rome and created the Act of Supremacy, which means the only supreme head on earth of the Church of England uh, could be the, uh, the the leader of the Church of England and basically saying the Pope, we don't have to listen to the Pope anymore, so you've got the, the Church of England Catholics and you've got the, the Roman Catholics, and that created this huge divide. And the Pope, all of a sudden, when none of the cardinals knew about it, everyone's caught completely off guard, he changes this whole thing and allows... Um, the uh, uh, people who had broken off 450 years ago to come back into uh, the Roman Catholic Church led by the Pope. And if you now look at who is now under the Pope's reign, it includes, you know, like 30% of Congress, 40% of the Senate, uh, Tony Blair who converted to Catholicism. So it's, it's really, it's a huge power play. And if there's one thing the Catholics hate, John, it's the Jews. No! Yes! God. Yeah, what are you talking about? Jeez. You're saying that's not true? No, it's not true. Yes, it's true. They say that the, the, the Jews killed Jesus and all that crap. Uh, yeah, if you're 12, they say that. Well, it's, dude, if you're... If you're please. So, so, this here, guy, so, so here's what... Here's, okay, what re happened recently is that the... Uh, um, no, recently, like this week... Yeah, this week, uh, the, the, there's been a problem with the Anglicans, uh, or the, actually the, the Episcopalian Church in the United States in particular, but all, all the other parts of the world, ever since they put a gay guy in as a bishop. And a whole group of very conservative, the very conservative wing of the Episcopalian Party just, just can't deal with this because it's against the Bible or whatever. And uh, so they split off. They, they refuse to take part. And there's been a big, this has been going on for a few years now. It's been a big to do about this. And so part of the, but they still needed some sort of a leader because they can't go through the, you know, the. Right. The they need, they need a leader who was a Hitler Jugend Nazi. That's no, what no, they need. They, no. Well, let me finish. And so then they they ended up picking the only other church that they could. There's another kind of an offshoot of the Episcopalian Church, which is in Nigeria or something. So they have to like, you know, kind of become part of that group. And so they, I don't think they were comfortable with that. And the Pope just thought this might be a very interesting way to score this this group of of, of complainers who uh, quit or one would quit the Episcopalian Church. As a matter of fact, I actually know someone who is an Episcopalian minister, uh, female who quit 
the Episcopalian Church in protest and became a Catholic. And so he figures, well, you know, come on over, we'll just change a few rules and you can become, go back to the Catholic side of things until things, you can always quit. And then, uh, and that's, it's just, I thought it was just a, a grab for, you know, power. A it's, a, it's, a gr- no, it's a grab for power. Just look at all yeah. the things, look at, the, look at what's happening on the sidelines. So you've got, 30% of the Congress is Catholics, 40% of the Senate, six of the nine Supreme Court justices are Catholics. Uh, Joe Biden is a, uh, is a Catholic. And Tony Blair converted to Catholicism all of a sudden, you know, at the, at the feet of the Pope. And this guy was a Nazi. Yeah, he was a young Nazi, but he was a Nazi. So I'm, I'm just saying, and, and so, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, and, no, and listen, his, I'm so he's behind that. bombing the Israeli bases on the moon. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. And this guy, this Nozel. And what documentation do you have for Israeli bases on the moon besides, you know, what oh, I, well, I, I'd well, love you to know see what? that. I, oh, I've got tons of pictures, but, you know, you'll say they're doctored, they're photoshopped. They but, are. But without seeing them, I can tell you that. Okay. Okay. Why That's would fine. the Israelis have a moon base? What would be the They're point not the of only it? ones. Everyone's got a moon base up there. There's tons oh. of moon bases. Okay. Yeah. I mean, please tell me what that water crap was all about then. Where's the follow-up? It wasn't it, it was a, a kinetic weapon, whatever that means. And this guy was a part of it. And uh and then we have another interesting story from uh Hold on, let me just bring that one up. Because, you know, lots of people know about this stuff. I mean, this is what this is what I was saying at the beginning of the show, John, is that now all the, the veil is starting to come, is starting to drop away and people are seeing what's really going on. And yeah, you can you can keep calling conspiracy theory and and kooks and all of that. Okay. Go ahead. I'll wait for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just do it as we go. Uh let me find the uh the guy who was thrown thrown down 120 feet, uh, like the the nuclear guy. Hold on a second. Ah, shit. I got too I many. I got I too many links. With this one, with the with the Israeli moon base, I think we're good for. I think we're safe for five years now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Isn't there going to be any I'm, two shots there? There was a, no, no, no. Hold on a second. I I got to find this freaking link. This pisses me off. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let me guess what the, what the website looks like. Everything is in the biggest font they can find, and it's no. all centered for, and no. it goes on forever. Here it is: <laughs> British nuclear expert uh, at the uh, United Nations offices in Vienna fell to his death from the seventeenth floor. He worked for the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Organization. And he fell 120 feet to his death. Second time this has happened, by the way, this year, that uh, someone at the uh, UN working in the, one of the nuclear divisions fell to his death. This is a dangerous building, this uh, United <laughs> Nations. Apparently, you know. <laughs> I wonder if he had, took some aspirin before he fell to his what, death. It, it was one of those deals where the elevator door opens and they just, somebody pushes you in? <laughs> I think there's the, no I elevator think the, there? I think it's the way the state... Well... It's actually interesting. Uh, so this is a, uh, a Telegraph report from the UK. A, spokes- <coughs> a spokesman in the Austrian capital said there were no suspicious circumstances surrounding the man's death, while a police spokesman said no other person was believed to have been involved. No suicide note was found. But then uh, one of our producers scanned an article for me from, of course, 
the sun. Uh, but let me read that to you. And I and I you know just like the Men in Black, I think that all the truth is really in the uh, in the tabloids. British nuclear expert sparked a murder mystery last night after plunging to his death a day before taking part in crucial talks with Iran. Tim Hampton, 44, fell 120 feet down a stairwell at the United Nations headquarters, hosting the tense negotiations. Uh, sources said... Uh, uh, he was an extremely talented nuclear expert. Mr. Hampton's body was found at 8.30 a.m. on Tuesday. Oh, it's so inconvenient to slip and fall in the morning. Oops. In the morning! Pathologists are preparing to carry out a post-mortem, Vienna police said. Murder is one possibility, suicide is another. So, you know, it's like, who's reporting the truth here? So on one hand, we get that, oh, no, no suicide, it was an accident. And then Vienna police are saying, murder is one possibility, suicide is another. And it's all surrounding nuclear stuff and nuclear So why is, would they, what, what, do you have any concept of what, what was special about this guy, why they'd want to kill him? Well, this, this is easy, uh, because there's no, uh, no nuclear weapons in Iran. This is like the guy they, they offed in the woods and had him... Uh, yeah, but don't we know there's no nuclear weapons in, in Iran? No, man. We've got we've to go back in and we're going to do all these WMD searches. and. Yeah, but don't we know there's no weapons? We just know that they're trying to make one? No, we don't even know they're trying to make one. Jesus, John, you're already that far. They're trying to make one, everybody. No, I mean, that's what the litany is. I'm talking about what the litany is. The litany is they're trying that's to make one. That's good enough. Okay, they're trying to make one. This guy's going to say, they're not trying to make one. They're just trying to make some power. They're trying to keep the lights on. He's just well, a treat. The guy's a troublemaker. Throw him down the stairs. Well, that's a possibility. Totally. Which brings me to another clip. Ah, lovely. Since you're talking about the nukes. Uh, now, this is a very difficult clip to listen to because the guy is is Pakistani and uh, hard to understand. Damn them. And he, he uses, look for the terms feet on the ground, on the ground. He uses that to refer to the public. And um, this was at the United States Institute for Peace. Oh, which I've oh, never which, heard no, of. no, I looked that up. The, the 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 chairman of the United States Institute for Peace, which is also about this whole non-proliferation of uh, nuclear arms, and Cl Clinton just spoke. The Hillary Clinton just spoke there the other day. So this is during that. This was done. This was in the question. This was a question he was going to ask Hillary. And I watched this on C-SPAN, and I went to the website. Uh, and here it is. Let me just find the guy's name. Wilson, I think, is. Uh, no, hold on. Well, this is part of that internationalist group that wants a one-world government. Yeah, and I, yeah. Well, I, I, here it is. I just wanted to give you the, the chairman's background because it blew me away when I saw that uh, executive office board of directors. Here it is. Uh, USIP.org board members. Jay Robinson West is the chairman of the board of directors, and if you look at his bio, uh, he's the chairman and founder of PFC Energy. He has advised chief executives of leading international oil and gas companies and national oil companies on corporate strategy, portfolio management, acquisitions, divestitures, and investor relations. Yes, he's the guy you want leading the United States Institute of Peace. Do I play the clip? So, uh, so I, what the clip is, is, the, is this guy, it's, yeah, it's interesting. This guy, uh, this Pakistani guy tells 
tells a story about what they think in Pakistan about what's going on in Afghanistan and elsewhere in terms of you know what the and the, by the way in the Pakistan the Pakistanis have a very uh, intense intelligentsia that do things thoughtfully and uh, Hillary tries to answer this question. I only have a little bit of Hillary at the end. I wasn't, wasn't going to put the whole thing under because she she has turned into the world's worst bureaucrat when it comes to doing press conferences. She says nothing. Right. And in this case, she was hemming and hawing in such a way that it's almost as though everything this – she seemed to be lying to me. And it's almost as though everything you're going to hear from this guy is the truth about at least uh, one arm of the Afghanistani uh, – uh, um, War. Here we go. War. Yeah. We'll take them on this side. Okay. And Fiaz Ali, uh, uh, I'm a journalist Randolph fellow here at the Institute. Uh, my question is uh, somehow related to what uh, Alex raised about Pakistan because I'm from Pakistan. Uh, I'm happy and I appreciate uh, uh, the administration is talking about the long-term relationship with Pakistan. But back home, uh, the overwhelming majority of the people uh, believe that the U.S. presence in the region is all about the Pakistan nukes. Uh, the, the administration has made uh, efforts, uh, uh, yet uh, the, these efforts uh, uh, of countering those, uh, uh, the, the propaganda and the widespread impression on the ground is that uh, the black waters are there, uh, the marines are in the embassy, and they are all just to take the Pakistani nukes. Uh, I understand that uh, the U.S. ambassador in Pakistan and uh, special envoy. Uh, from time to time they interact with the Pakistani media, but by the time they interact with the media, the conventional wisdom had uh, solidified. So, uh, and related to this is the Kerry Luger Bell issue. Uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, there is lack of coordination uh, between the State Department and Congress uh, when it comes to the Kerry Luger Bill. Uh, what, what's the Kerry Luger Bill? Kerry, uh, John Kerry, uh, Lou and uh, Luger. They used to, they, this began. This, <laughs> the Kerry Hakalugi Bill? Kerry Luger bill, uh, it, it and you can people can look this up on the you know it's, it's all over the place. So you look up a Kerry Luger fiasco and you'll get it. Uh, but anyway, what it is is that originally there was a bill that was called the Biden Luger bill, and the Biden Luger bill was going to change our. Um, relationship to Pakistan in a, in a way that the Pakistanis, you know, f- thought was positive, apparently. And then Kerry and then Biden was booted out of this deal and, and Kerry came in and Kerry, another internationalist with the, who knows what he's scheming about uh, and put together what the Pakistanis think is this incredibly onerous bill. In other words, we give the Pakistanis a bunch of money, but then they, they, they have to basically kowtow to a whole series of demands. We have to we get to oversee their military. It's almost like a U.S. takeover or an attempted takeover of the of the whole country of Pakistan, so we're going to be running the show yeah, well, that, if they don't meet this requirement and that requirement. It's very much of an economic economic hitman. Hit yeah, it's like the IMF is doing with countries. It's the way the the confession of economic hitman worked. If you re- if you read the book, we talked about it enough. You go in, say, here's a couple billion dollars. Oh, by the way, you leading the shit here. Here's a hundred million in a black bag. You take that for yourself, and you can spend that hundred billion on us, and we have all the rights, and we tell you what to do. And so uh, you can finish this guy's little thing, spiel. Uh, you may call it the success historic uh, step towards uh, enhancing relationship with Pakistan, but the better reality is that back home it is considered a big fiasco. Uh, okay, right now they're going, there's whispering going on. Get that guy out of here.
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Push him off the stairs. Oh, hey, yeah. Would you like some aspirin for that headache? <laughs> They're trying to get <laughs> this guy's dead. They, they actually interrupt him and she starts answering. You can play a little bit this of that. Guy's, this guy's toast. I just want your comments on two, uh, two uh, questions. Uh, how to increase the. Who let that dickhead in? The speed of your uh, counter propaganda in Pakistan. And second is uh, to coordinate across the whole government to ensure continuity and cohesion of approach. Okay. Okay. Well, first of all, you're a dead man. Well, I'm. I'm actually very uh, glad that you raised um, your questions and and made your comment because I think we have, as a as a, a government, not done a very good job in responding to uh, what you rightly call propaganda, misinformation, even in some instances disinformation about our motivations and our actions in Pakistan. Oh wow! Oh, awesome. So is she saying the news media is providing disinformation or the government is providing disinformation? She, does, she doesn't really say, but I think she's just referring to the fact that the situation in yeah, Pakistan in terms of what up. the public is, is believing yeah. is out of control. Yeah. Um, that became clear to me as we were doing our review, and I, I saw how often uh, there were stories in the Pakistani media that were totally untrue. But we were not responding as effectively as we need to. We um, have under uh, Judith McHale, our undersecretary for public diplomacy, um, undertaken a very thorough uh, analysis of what better we could do. And we are moving uh, very uh, rapidly to try to uh, fill that void. Uh, we have uh, a new team. Oh, she's full of shit. She's just with that, that, that. You listen to her for an hour. She says nothing. Why don't we have to fill the void? Yeah. What void? Yeah. Well, you know, while we're talking about bullshit, uh, and I, I, th I found one uh, on. Uh, I was watching something on C-SPAN that relates to jobs, our jobs, jobs, and jobs. Let's vote for jobs. <laughs> for those producers who have been listening to the show for a while, you know that um, we very early on caught this whole saved or created meme the uh, for those of you who have forgotten about the 787 billion dollars it was supposed to save or create three to four million jobs and of course we don't actually know what that means saving a job is real easy to to bake up some numbers actually creating a job is a whole different i, I see reports on recovery.gov you know a thousand jobs here 400 jobs there Ooh, a small business in some some backwoods place has created 30 jobs. Um, but at the opening of Monday's um, White House press conference, which is led by that, what we call the uh, potential cokehead uh, uh, Gibbs, he starts off by allowing this guy, Jared Bernstein, to talk about how the recovery bill, it's, it's kind of a long clip, but I just want you to listen to him stumble and fumble and bumble, trying to explain how i think it's 230 billion dollars has uh saved or created some jobs and uh, actually i got the first bit where gibbs good afternoon or good morning i should say sorry i'm used to doing this in the afternoon uh before we get started with our regularly scheduled programming uh, did you catch that what he before said before we get started with our reg regular scheduled programming yeah this is like so it's like a show the guy thinks he's doing a tv show 
He's like, before, before we, get, wait, wait, let me play that again. Yeah, That's I, I knew you'd, I knew you'd love it. I knew you. First of all, he's like, good morning, good afternoon, how you doing, everybody? Before we get started with our regular well, you, stream, got, you gotta make sure you you can't be breathing through your nose. No, you, you can't, everybody, because I've been doing a couple lines in the back there. Before we get started with our regularly scheduled program, I've got a little bit of a message for you. Good afternoon, or good morning, I should say. Sorry, I'm used to doing this in the afternoon. Uh, I'm used to doing this in the afternoon. Uh, before we get started with our regularly scheduled programming, uh, Jared Bernstein. And- <laughs> is it, it's so. It's like, could it be any more clear that this is a show? It's, it's a show. It's it's it, the show is about to start. But first, we have some uh, psyops for Lord you. Barnes. I'm surprised you don't bring out some guy that you know. Come on. Th- Come on, yeah. audience, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Who Round knows? Of applause. You know what? We don't know they don't. We don't see that part. Maybe there is a guy banging his script against his hand. They're like, okay, let's test the applause sign. We are here to discuss the report that was uh, released this morning on the uh, jobs saved on the recovery plan. So I looked for the report on the jobs saved under the recovery plan, and I couldn't find it. It's certainly not on the homepage of that $18 million website, recovery.gov. You know, they got lots of, they even have a, a little box there. Data, 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 data. We're supplying you with lots of data. But you can't actually figure anything out, and there's no report on the job saved. Notice Gibbs doesn't say saved or created, but then Jaron Bernstein comes on and talks about saved and created. By teachers, so I'm going to turn it over to. Uh... Teachers. See, the educational system's getting shafted. There's no, nothing being saved or created. There he is, Jared Bernstein. How'd you say that? uh, Hello. Preliminary reviews of a risk. Right. Okay. Right off the bat. Preliminary reviews. Recipient reporting data from state governments on educational spending through the American uh, Reinvestment and Recovery Act, the Recovery Act, show that at least 250,000 educational jobs have been saved or created thus far. (laughs) John, help me. Tell me this is this is crap. It's unbelievable. It goes on. And wait, by the way, and I, I'll, I'm going to reiterate this, and I've noticed it by everybody who comes and speaks for Obama. In fact, I, I've got a couple of clips we're not going to play this week, but it's the same thing. They keep pounding on the same energy, uh, health, and education. And education seems to be getting screwed in yeah. this triad of what we're going to do and they should have focused on it from the beginning instead of these scams well they heard you and so we've interrupted our regularly scheduled programming to bring you an update about how 250,000 jobs were saved or created hey Bernstein which one was it dude saved or created noted these are preliminary data and by the way this is bullshit information because it's preliminary data uh well, why don't you just give me the freaking data stuff well no, they want to you know they, when you use the word prelim, preliminary data and somebody finally does the research and gets the real numbers then you can throw that in their face yeah, of course. Oh, it's just preliminary we didn't have the right, right. by the way this is the guy talking to the white house press corps this is what will be filtered into your six o'clock news your morning newspaper this is this is this is propaganda right here. The Ministry of Truth brings you this special bulletin. Views through the recipient reporting process. As many of you probably know from some uh, reports at the end of last week, uh, we're engaged in uh, what is uh, clearly uh, the most transparent and accountable treatment of a, a government program that uh, 
uh, really has has ever uh, I think been seen here to four. So what? Uh, yeah, no, I love this. So as most of you know, in other words, you should know this. If you don't know this, you are a bad journalist. You have not done your homework. This is the most transparent process ever. Go ahead, John. The guy's an idiot. Keep playing. Uh, these are uh, recipient data coming in from the states, uh, from Democrats and Republicans. It's uh, a truly a bipartisan report on the progress of the... What a bipartisan report? You're just supposed to hand us the data, douchebag. Recovery Act is making so far. Uh, before I turn uh, the podium what over to... statistics bipartisan? Yeah, it's, 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 it's meaningless. It's just propaganda. This guy is Jared Bernstein Goebbels. Melody to talk about the substance of the report. Let me it's just say a, a word or two about uh, how this uh, recipient reporting uh, fits into the larger context of jobs reported uh, as created uh, uh, or saved. Um, these are direct jobs. Now, I, I oh, direct jobs. Okay, John. What does that mean? We're going to find out. Direct jobs, it's, it's, it's something very important. Please write this down. I think I've spoken to this group. Oh, and if, I think I've spoken. If you don't remember this, well, you're a dick. You, this, is, this is NLP. This is absolute mind control. I think I've spoken to this group. If you didn't hear that, well, you aren't part of the group, so you want to be part of the group, so you got to just take it as fact. Uh, before about this point, uh, direct jobs are jobs that are directly created and funded through spending in the Recovery Act. Uh, in this case, uh, for example, think about a, uh, a job of uh, an educator uh, saved because a... He says created Yep. in the same sentence he says saved. Yeah, which is it? State budget uh, would have had to undergo cuts uh, that would have uh, enforced a layoff. That layoff uh, has been uh, avoided in in these cases. Uh, okay, so first he says jobs, direct jobs, are jobs created by jobs being saved because cuts didn't have to happen. That's what he's saying through yeah. uh, Recovery Act spending. Direct jobs are only part of the story. Indirect jobs. Ooh, this is the best, John. Can I hire you for an indirect job? Anytime. Yeah, I'll give you an indirect paycheck. Occur when that teacher who otherwise would have been laid off uh, uh, goes uh, shopping and is able to. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, this is the beauty of it. So because we saved a job, the teacher, we saved more jobs because that teacher has to go shopping. And so, so, you, so, that, so because she goes shopping, which she has to do anyway, she's saving jobs by doing so. Yes. And, the, and the administration is it's taking credit and it. adding it to the total. They're counting the it. <laughs> so they're saving Walmart jobs because they saved a teacher job. Uh, uh, spend uh, uh, income earnings that uh, she otherwise uh, would. And by the way, a teacher is always a she, just so you know. These guys are dicks have had that creates more economic activity the point is that these 250,000 jobs uh, preliminary reporting on on these jobs saved 200 no, notice the, the voice 250,000 jobs are created are a uh, subset uh, even of this part of the uh, recovery act uh, the law requires the recovery act uh, uh, requires that uh, oh this is this is great listen to the reporting requirements of this transparent government the most transparent in history History. This more detailed reporting from recipients uh, is is made on about a third of the spending. It's about two hundred seventy six billion of the seven hundred eighty seven.
$7.7 billion act. Uh, it's about $150 billion that's already been put to work through September 30th and subject to reporting this uh, quarter. Now, the recipients are only asked to report the direct job impact, as I noted. Um, let me finish off by just talking about... <laughs> what did he just say? As far as I can tell, he's just babbling on with just... He's got a list of words, and he just yeah. reads them. The headlines are 250,000 jobs saved or created that's the headline that's all he wants you to remember and if you weren't a part of all these other briefings that he reminds you that i think i told you then you're a douche how this maps on to the other work that for example our council of economic advisors have done generating the uh, uh estimate that we've saved or created about a million jobs oh please no. a million jobs we're already a third of the way there john uh so far that so estimate far. Uh, includes both direct and indirect jobs. There you go. So that million jobs includes both direct and indirect jobs. I mean, you cannot cook the... I can see myself going to our board of directors and saying, look, uh, we made uh, a million dollars, but uh, just so you know, that's like 100000 we actually made and a million that's coming. It's coming because it's indirect money. And it includes not just a subset of the spending that has to be reported on through recipients, but the full uh, set of, uh, of uh, Recovery Act activities that are out there in the field creating uh, economic activity so far. So, just to be clear. <laughs> That's my favorite part. So, blah, 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 blah. 250,000 jobs, blah, 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 blah. So just to be clear, oh, oh shit, I got to pay attention Activities now. that are out there in the field creating uh, economic activity so far. So just to be clear, preliminary recipient uh, uh, data that's uh, coming in uh, to the uh, independent uh, recovery and accountability, recovery accountability, uh, the rat board, recovery <laughs> accountability. The fuck is that thing called again? What was that thing that we shoved through Congress? Oh, yeah, that thing, yeah. Transparency. Um, Preliminary uh, uh, data coming into the board uh, from recipients uh, shows 250,000 uh, education jobs saved or created. Uh, this is a subset of the 1 million jobs uh, saved or created thus far through the Act, uh, leaving us solidly on track to accomplish uh, our stated goal of saving or creating 3.5 million jobs. So the way they're doing it, we could have... 50% unemployment, and it would be a huge success Yeah, <laughs> because we've saved or created the other you know, 50% who are actually still employed. Exactly. What a crock. But this is what the, is given to as a special bulletin interrupting our regularly scheduled programming. This is what the press is fed, and the press just sits there and goes, uh, and the hey, and then it's like, so just to be clear, oh, let me wake up for a second. 250,000 jobs, a million jobs. Oh my God, that's awesome. That is so awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> We're doing great. Yay, Obama, yay. Jobs, 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 and jobs. Let's vote for jobs. Canada Free Press reports uh, Michelle Obama has uh, more than 20 servants. <laughs> I love how they report that. And she created some jobs. Have you ever known a first lady to have 20 people on staff? I don't know. I don't know what the normal staffing is. I mean, what do they all do? It seems like it would take an awful lot of time bossing them around. Yeah, it's, uh, well, besides, you know, hairdresser and makeup, which, by the way, I think is totally valid. I mean, uh, shit, you know, uh, Tom Cruise and uh, 
and his wife have that. Uh, of course, now it's slow to load because the CIA is filtering out all Canada free press uh, through my AT&T connection. Uh, but there's a whole list, and you'll see it in the show notes at noagendashow.com. Uh, and she's got and, you know people for $150,000 on the payroll there. Uh, all the way, I think the lowest is forty six thousand. Um, but yeah, about twenty twenty two people uh, working with the first lady. She's got all kinds of staff supervisors and uh, letter writers and uh, amazing amounts of uh, of uh, of staff that uh, that she apparently needs to uh, in order to function. Yeah, and this uh, obviously is not as though she has a personal chef or anything, because the White House has that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's already the, like a Here place it is. that's I got it. I'm sorry. hugely staffed. Uh, Chief of Staff, $172,000. Uh, Deputy Assistant to the President. What does a First Lady need a Chief of Staff for? Well, to, oh, to, never mind, because she has 20 to, people. To, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, then we have a Deputy Assistant to the President and First Lady uh, and Director of Policy and Projects. We have Special Assistant to the President and First Secretary, Social Secretary. That's for all the, all the parties. Uh, special Assistant to the President and First Lady for Communications. Then we have Special Assistant, Deputy, Deputy Chief of Staff. Uh, then we have Deputy Chief of Staff. Okay, just a... Oh, that's so you have a special assistant deputy chief and then a deputy chief of staff. We have director and press secretary, director of scheduling and advance. <laughs> it's like the the away team. Uh, we have deputy director of policy and projects, deputy director and deputy social secretary, deputy director and deputy social secretary, so she has two of those, deputy director of scheduling and events coordinator for the first lady, deputy director of advance and trip director, that's basically the woman who holds the umbrella in the air and says, follow me, Uh, special assistant personal aide to the first lady, uh, associate director and deputy press secretary. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Jobs, creating jobs for the Obamas. Yeah, and they need it honestly because you know they got they got a lot of work. Yeah, yeah they got a lot around. of things to do. Is it time yet? Wait a minute. You know what? You know what? First, we got to tell people what uh, what our formula is because I forgot to tell you. It's really simple. Our formula is this: we go out. We hit people in the mouth. That's all we. That's all we do, and we love doing it for you. And I spent. I was up until one thirty last night, John. Yeah. Uh, doing some research, and uh, I hate to say it, but it does fall under. Because we just can't get away from this shit. We just can't get away from it. Well, you want me to play the propaganda piece that I, I recorded? Yes, please. Okay, now this I want to set it up. And, and at the end, uh, this is the only time I'm, in the history of 60 Minutes have I ever heard a tag. Uh, in other words, that we're gonna, this is the end of the swine flu. Uh, the latest, you know, every week, people who listen to us all the time know that we're always looking for what is the angle they're going to use this week to get us to take this swine flu vaccine and, you know, stop, you know, stalling. And so now what it is as well, the swine flu might only, you know, it's a long shot that anything's apparently that the rate of the death rate on swine flu is less than 1%. Yeah, it's not working. Which is, 
which is less than it is generally for the regular flu, I think. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of questions that come up in this, but this is the they had a big 60 minute special on it, and this is the just just the very end of it where they're trying to scare you to death because yeah, you might, yeah, sure, nothing's probably nothing going to happen to you, but if it does, you're really going to be screwed over. And but then you got to listen, then they end the report, and you got the tick 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 tick, and then. You'll hear it when you hear it. How hard H1N1 will hit the country. The director of the CDC, Dr. Tom Frieden, has placed his faith in a $3 billion vaccine program. Vaccine is going to make the difference between whether we have lots and lots of cases or many fewer cases and lots and lots of deaths or fewer deaths. The vaccine saves this country from the worst case scenario. Absolutely. And you have that much confidence in it? Yes. In its safety? Yes. And its ability to do the job? Absolutely. We're confident it'll be effective. Uh, we have every reason to believe that it will be safe. The vaccine has been out only since October the 5th. The CDC has not received any reports of side effects so far. What makes you so certain that this vaccine is safe? The vaccine against H1N1 influenza is made just like the seasonal flu vaccines. About 100 million people get seasonal flu vaccine each year, and they have a very good safety track record. For the people watching the interview who say, look, I've got a 99% chance of staying out of the hospital. Why should I be vaccinated? What do you say? You know, I hope that you'll be lucky and not suffer hospitalization or complications from flu. But the best way to reduce your chances of one of those terrible outcomes is to be vaccinated. No one would have thought Luke Duvall in Little Rock would end up so critically ill. It's been a marathon. His condition improved, then worsened, and improved again. He's still in intensive care. There's a full expectation that he is going home with us. The question is just when. You weren't sure of that in the beginning? That's a fact. To find out how to get the H1N1 vaccine in your area, go to 60minutes.com. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Talk so, about laying it on thick. Here's a couple of points that were in there that I thought were interesting. One, that kid that was in the hospital uh, apparently had MRSA. Yeah, so he had a, an, another disease. Yeah, and the other thing was that there's a woman who was a health, uh, public health official that was uh, very sympathetic looking that says, oh, I hope you're not one of the, you're not one, you hope you're lucky and you don't, something bad doesn't happen to you. She worded things so instead of saying unlucky. Uh, but she says yeah. the flu is made exactly the same way as a seasonal flu vaccine, which is bull. We know that. Mm -hmm. And the question that he should ask, well, if it's made the same one, they just blend it in because the seasonal flu vaccine has, you know, three or four flus, you know, shots in it. Why don't they just throw this one in and make the, and just forget about it? Why does it have to be separate? Well, I have those answers. Uh, I'm waiting. Okay. Well, first of all... So I, I don't go to CBS.com? <laughs> Please. Please feel free to go to CBS.com. Uh, okay. So, so a couple things. Uh, let me just open up the uh, my documents here because uh, I, did, I did a shitload of work on this last night. So first of all, I wanted to relate to you uh, from... What is kind of a private email thread, but um, it's not really. All of the uh, Sequoia Capital companies, they have like an email expander, and you can send something to that, and it goes to all of the CEOs, etc., of, uh, of Sequoia Capital companies. 
And uh, let's you, give the public that address, Adam. No, let's not. But uh, <laughs> you can guess uh, who is most active because it's usually about and, and it, the signal to noise is is kind of relevant to me. Sometimes it's interesting. You know, it's like, hey, what? Uh, uh, the, the idea is pretty good, you know. What uh, uh, what PR firm are you using? You know, how do I structure options for my company? Have you ever worked with you know? So there's a, there's a lot of valid stuff there. Now, who do you think is one of the most active people who emails this list on almost a daily basis? You know him very well. Uh, well, I, I'm not going to guess. He at one point was an entrepreneur in residence at Sequoia Capital. Okay, tell me, Jason Calacanis. Oh, right. So, um, subject. So he's like pounding this list. Yeah. So, su- oh, yeah. Subject corporate policy on sick people during the age of swine flu. And he's listing his policies on the flu due to the swine flu concerns. Actually, he writes, this is funny. We have two new policies on the flu due to swine foo concerns. <laughs> we are sending and paying for everyone for flu shots, which, first of all, is bogus because it's free. And by the way, uh, as CBS stated, it's not $3 billion, It is $10 billion that Congress set aside. Each flu shot uh, approximately cost the U.S. taxpayer $600, and I have the backup to... Uh, uh, to prove that, that'll be in the show notes at noagendashow.com. Uh, this will serve as, feed- as a feedback loop for everyone on the team, i.e. if people with flu shots still get sick, well, maybe we don't do this program next year. If the only people who get sick are the ones who don't get flu shots, well, that should motivate folks to get shots next year. blah de blah de blah blah So then he says, do you think this is insane or appropriate? So far, I have the support of my team. And then uh, one of the guys from Adbright writes back and says, well, if the company employees feel good about this and don't feel it's 1984, but out of real concern for the health of staff, then I'd go for it. And here comes the kicker. So Calacanis writes back, and this is to the whole, there's a lot of people on this list, okay? So, so I don't consider this to be completely secret or private. It's just, I, I, just it's crazy, this, this part, how this guy is so indoctrinated. Well, so far, only one person doesn't want to get a shot, and he is a young guy who says he's never taken a sick day in his life. I think everyone else appreciates it. I'm just scared to death with a pregnant wife and for my team members with kids. This shit is deadly! And I'm thinking, how does... This shit is deadly. So, of course... and, And all of a sudden, it hit me, John. A couple things hit me. One... We know that disclaimers of adverse effects of medication actually makes people want to buy it. That's why we've proven this time and time again. That's why all of the uh, pharmaceutical ads are about 10 seconds worth of benefits and 50 seconds worth of side effects. So the fact that we're actually talking about Guillain-Barre disease, about neurological disorders, about mercury uh, giving kids autism, about thimerosal, is actually making people want to go get the flu shot. So we're actually doing a bad thing by talking about all of this stuff. But the real thing is follow the money, okay? So two points I want to make. One, we were, we've been noticing that now the pig meme is coming into all of this. And even though everyone says, oh, no, you can't get swine flu from eating pork, of course, the pork industry, there's some very interesting developments that have taken place. Because ah. if we have... 
if we have um, pigs that are infected with the swine flu, what do we do? We're going to cull them. We're going to kill the pigs. Enter Monsanto, who have a patent on a genetically engineered pig. Oh, good one. Okay. Now, I went to the websites of the four companies who have uh, a license to produce the H1N1 vaccine. And you don't want to go to the website and just look at the, here's what we're doing, H1N1, we're so incredibly good. No, you want to go to investor relations. And uh, y'all can follow along uh, at home. I uploaded uh, one of these corporate, actually, yeah, one of these corporate uh, uh, PowerPoint presentations to drop.io slash uh, G-S-K-X-V-O. And uh, that'll be in the show notes at noagendashow.com. And you can download it from there. So this is the pipeline of GlaxoSmithKline. And it's amazing where everyone is saying, including some boneheads on some other show, that there will be no adjuvants in uh, in our vaccine. So first, uh, vaccine business characteristics. So this is basically telling investors why it's so incredibly good to be in the vaccine business. Well, there's a few global players and there's very high barriers to entry because of complex manufacturing, large-scale investment, long product life cycles, high probability of R&D success, new technology, novel products, better pricing, operating margin to comparable pharmaceutical products, heightened awareness, and there's new markets. And there's lots of pretty graphs and all kinds of beautiful stuff. And you scroll down and we're... Uh, then we get to the slide, adjuvanted vaccines, immune response. And there's a little graph about how that works. And right here, why do we need better adjuvants? Because, John, you've already asserted that uh, they've been trying to get this into our vaccines for a long time. Well, we need better adjuvants to induce strong immune responses, to induce long-term protection, as is with HPV vaccine cerevirix. Uh, to induce broader immune response, and to increase capacity by reducing antigen content and dose, as in the f- pandemic flu vaccine, Pandemrix. So it's already in there. And then as we go down a little bit more, the United States emerging markets, there's a lovely graph here of all of their uh, vaccines, of what's already on the market. And of course, we have the pre-pandemic But then over there in phase three development is the new gen flu, John. Be on the lookout for that one. They're already developing vaccine for the new gen flu. And then, yeah, and then we go down. They're going to be big in Brazil. They're growing a diversified global business. And I'm trying to get to the slide where it talks about, here it is. Uh, So this was actually from September so they're uh, talking about uh, all of their qualifications, about getting the WH, World Health Organization, approval. And then somewhere in here, there is an order from the United States government for this adjuvanted vaccine of 180 million doses. 
So we've already bought and paid for it. It's already on the way. It's, comple- it's, it's completely full with adjuvants, and you must read through this PowerPoint. You will love it. You will love seeing how... And you're putting this on the show notes, right? Yeah, it's in the show notes. And then so I'm looking around a little bit more. I, I'm telling you, I stayed up way too late. And uh, hold on, let me just uh, find it. So there's this company called Medimmune, and me- as, as Medimmune actually medimmune 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 they are the makers of the nasal spray and uh, i'm looking around i'm finding i find it turns out that uh, about a year and a half ago they got a severe warning letter from the fda about their nasal mist manufacturing and uh when you read through this letter which is highly redacted it, you know, literally stuff taken out, and that is actually the ingredients of their uh, of their uh, vaccine. The, so the ingredients of the vaccine are redacted in this uh, in this note, which, by the way, was removed from the FDA's website. It had to go back to the archive uh, wayback machine to get it. Um, here's some of the things that they were doing in their in their. This was for the regular flu mist. Uh, this is pre H one N one, but this is this is how they how they operate over there. Uh, operators were observed wearing safety glasses, allowing for skin to be exposed and therefore increasing the opportunity for for contamination. An operator was observed removing his or her safety glasses, then removing and cleaning his or her prescription-type glasses, thus allowing for skin to be exposed. Also, an operator was observed sampling his or her fingers onto an anger touch, an agar touch plate, and without sanitizing or changing his or her gloves, mixing the sterile sterile filtered monovalent monovalent whatever that is monovalent monovalent uh in the facilities you have failed to establish the effectiveness of cleaning and disinfection processes used in your manufacturing facility and by your personnel uh for example there were numerous environmental monitoring excursions for mold in downstream processing uh, the reports, uh, laminar flow units, uh, you know, cl- uh, after cleaning. I, mean, I think, I think we, you got the point, we got the point across. They've got contamination. They've got dirty labs. They've got dirty manufacturing. And normally you have a letter that closes out the issue, nowhere to be found. So we don't even know if they took care of all this shit. And it's the same plant where they're manufacturing the nasal mist for the H1N1 vaccine. Go ahead, shoot that shit up your nose. <laughs> well, Go there's some it. other schemes going on too, which we're going to have to probably get to in the weeks ahead. The uh, Sibelius came out with some commentary about, you know, which seems like a setup to me. They they want to. They oh, wanna... yeah, oh, the, 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 oh, this is what this is the point I wanted to make. Um, because now there's now the meme is oh we can't get the vaccine fast enough. So right, this, is, this, this is why the adjuvants are going to come into play. Well, we don't have enough of the vaccine. We can't produce it fast enough. So if we just can put the adjuvants in, please, then we'll have enough for everybody. Yeah, with that, we came up with that. That meme is not new. I mean, that was, we thought, was at the beginning of the, of the cycle. It just keeps cropping up again. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not getting what, what, what they're hoping to accomplish here. But uh, I know Sibelius has come out and she said that she wants to have a, some sort of new way of making vaccines and we should invest all our money in that, yeah, I which have, I assume that you know, means that somebody's going to create some sort of a R and d scam. 
She doesn't want the egg thing anymore. She thinks that sucks. Well, there was a huge investment done by uh, Kleiner Perkins in companies that uh, that supposedly are able to make vaccines without the egg process. I think it was like a $300 million investment. This was four or five years ago. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, ha- I have that uh, Sibelius calls for updated vaccine-making process. Health and Human Services Secretary says the U.S. is too dependent on foreign countries for production of vaccines, as shown by delays in the release of the H1N1 vaccine. Uh, four or five manufacturers are foreign companies. A fact that alarmed lawmakers who expressed concern, some expressed even greater concern that the lag in vaccine production could mean the H1N1 flu shots would arrive too late to do any good. This is set, set, set up, John. This is why GlaxoSmithKline, which is an American company, has 170 million doses of adjuvanted vaccine already bought, ordered, and ready to be delivered to the U.S. population. Yeah. So, yeah, no, everything. But I think that the, these uh, drug companies. Um, you hear that know. this week in virology? No. Douchebags? Oh, those guys, yeah. No, they're all, they're just obviously stooges. By the way, you did mention Monsanto, so I do have a clip. Uh, this came from uh, CSI Miami. Of course. And uh, and you sh- should also mention Fast Forward over that yeah, show. Yeah, I, I did want to talk about So just fast forward real quickly. Yeah. So fast forward, and uh, the thing that I found interesting is if you look at this video, so this is all part of the media indoctrination. Uh, this chick is looking at a computer monitor, and there you see a big ad for the flu shots, and it's actually talking about the flu mist. But what I thought was interesting is she's actually doing a search on some phantom search engine. Why don't you just use Google if you want to make it look like it's real? It always has to be some fake site. And she's <laughs> typing in pigmentation. And you know that if you look at the, if someone's typing the word pigmentation and the way it's cut, you really see the word pig before it gets a pig. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, so uh, I'll put a link to that in the show. Yeah, there's something going on with this pig thing. Yeah. So anyway, so you mentioned Monsanto and their architected pigs. God, hope they don't get too far with that one. So they had a Monsanto slam in uh, the CSI Miami show, even though there wasn't that Monsanto's name could have been used, but it wasn't. And it has to do with, you know, patented seeds. But what's so funny is the way it was it was done. It was like the writer obviously had some concerns and he threw this little just out of the blue bit right into a search these guys were doing for some E. coli contamination. And so they run into this black guy who sounds like a sharecropper because we all know that if you're a farmer in Florida you have to be black and kind of a sharecropper looking guy. <laughs> yeah, of course. And and of course we know that you know Florida is well known for growing corn. Uh, <laughs> And it's in a cornfield. That Monsanto shit can grow everywhere, dude. And so they, so this guy comes in and he gives him the song and dance about the whole thing. And then the cop uh, is as though some some you know suit at the network says, "I think we've had enough of this. Just get the just you know tell the guy to screw himself." And so the cop, you just have to listen to this clip. You don't work for Bixton. That all the farms around here did doesn't mean they aren't trying. Buy you out. By hell, they're getting us for free. They already grabbed my grandfather's first forty. Well, how's that? <laughs> first forty is that a, is that a reference to forty acres and a mule? I guess. Uh-huh. I've said enough. You're a cop. It's the disparagement laws. You ever heard of drift? No. Listen to that dialogue. How poor is this acting? Oh my oh, gosh. Well, I got caught in it. 
Bixton's patented seeds blew into my crops. I didn't know you can patent a seed. Neither did I. An inspector found a few of their seeds mixed up with mine. And they accused you of stealing and suing. Couldn't afford a lawyer, so I settled. Had to pay with land. That's how Seth lost Aunt Sally's to them. <laughs> I'm sorry to disturb you. He just walks yeah. off. This episode of CSI brought to you by... Monsanto. He basically listens to his story, takes a call and says, eh, sorry to have bothered you. Good luck with <laughs> Good your luck. lawsuit. Good luck with your 40 acres. That, it's like it's like racist. It's it's it's, it's a whole bundle of joy. That one is <laughs> I cracked up watching what it. A great little show. So this is what we do. We spend our. I mean, I could have been having sex. I could have been smoking heroin. I could have been doing a whole bunch of things. No, instead, I'm and I. We didn't even get to the Bacchus bill. We'll do it right after we do the the plugs here, John. Uh, I want to talk about the Bacchus bill just briefly. I read through the Bacchus bill. It's fifteen hundred pages. You know, it's no uh, Atlas Shrug because it's you know it's single double space it's number and all that two. Stuff. Yeah, have a drink. Um, but it, you know, it, it's actual work is involved. John's sitting there. You know, he's actually. It's gotten so bad. It's so bad. The two of us. I'll show you. Last night, uh, I got uh, two text messages. The first one at I think nine twenty eight. Who is the hot host on C-SPAN 2 interviewing the battle axe? <laughs> and then two minutes later, she's Milfie, too. You know, and to, but, well, I thought that was, you didn't answer me back, so I figured if I put Milfie in there, you'd go running over to see it. And then I'm like, sorry. Because I too- know your style. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I wasn't working. I was doing something else at that very minute. And John's like, what? On a pre-show night, I'm friggin' working while you're fucking around. You know? <laughs> and so we actually keep each other in check. We're really working hard. And we don't have any advertising on the show because we couldn't do any of what we're talking about here. Because the only ads you can get these days are from the big, you know, the big companies. There's only a couple. It's going to be uh, uh, anything that's been bailed out by the government. So it's... <laughs> and it also it, interrupts the flow of the show, which is one of the main reasons. We don't want True. to do advertising. I mean, True. I you know we could probably rationalize. In order to make enough ad- money, would have to interrupt the show at least eight times during our hour. Exactly, and a half. at least. Yeah. So we only interrupt once, and it's right now. So I want to thank some people who gave us uh, some um, some uh, income this week. Our new producers, uh, starting with Jersey Advent, who is a uh, or Advent in Zloty Stock, Poland. He gave us fifty dollars. Ah, thank you. Dave uh, Koss, Eulis, uh, Texas, a hundred, uh, th- and I think he's on the on the plan for. Uh, he may be one of the night plans. Cool. James Briscoe, as we've heard before, Bay Shore, New York. In fact, actually, I need to go to the site because there's a bunch of notes on some of these. And he gave us ninety three fifty seven, and this is based on some weird calculation about what each show that he's listened to is worth. And then he put some symbolism in there, and it, believe me, it's the longest explanation. I couldn't possibly read it; it would go on for an hour. Donald Martin, Atlantic Beach. I didn't know there was such a place. Atlantic Beach, Florida, gave us a hundred. Uh, our our sixteen female listener Serena Swanson uh, in Bristol UK gave us 108 uh, 07 and that has to do with the date 1807 10807 that the first monkey ad ran for PG tips Ah, right yeah I got a lot of email about that yeah I did too uh, Matt uh, Sharp 
Pentier, uh, North Dakota, became a state in 1889. He's, he's our Fargo executive producer, $188.90. Ricky Pierce... And, Australia, $50, and he's in the NSW, New Southwest Territory, whatever the heck it is. Shane, somebody's got to explain to me the uh, map. Shane Bradley, Plattsburgh, Missouri, 50. Joseph Kelly, Baytown, Texas. And he gave us $111.11. John Kelly in Charlotte, North Carolina, who I think is on the knighthood plan. He's given us another 50. Cone Peters, Eindhoven. That would be Kuhn, K-O-E-N, Kuhn. Kuhn Peters. Coon. Coon. Chuck-a-coon. 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 In Eindhoven, $56.76, which had some meaning. Cheryl Starr. <laughs> Whatever. Whoops. Number set. That's number uh, 18. No, yeah, 18, I think. Yeah. 18. That's number 18. Let me make a note. She's in Sacramento. All right. Hey, we she could do a meetup. She's the insane number of 5150. Dude, dude, dude. Call Scoble. We can do a meetup. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Brace, uh, in, who's given us uh, before, uh, he wants us to plug EmbraceWare.com. And he gave us, this time he gave us $80.80, which of course refers to uh, 8080, the 8080, Intel 8080, 8080 chip, which was the foundation for all personal computers and desktop machines to this day. And by the way, a lot of smart money uses the number 8080 in their phone number. And I would, and Bill Gates even has an 8080 number. And I do too. Why, why is that smart money? Because it just, it's a, it's a code. Oh, it's code for like, you knew about, you know, you know, it didn't, you know, the number 8080 and which means you've been around for a while. Anyway, we want to thank all those people, especially the people who gave us the smaller amounts, including the few forty nine ninety nine. And amounts. those are the people who just don't want to be mentioned at all. That's why they hit us under the fifty. We should yep. may- maybe raise that level and only talk about people at a hundred or over. Well, we, I think we can keep this can going we do, for a while. We can't do that yet, can we? We just not. We, there's not enough coming in. Is it growing at all? Uh, it's just pretty steady. I mean, it's going. It's growing a little bit. I'd have to look. I have to do a chart, and I can figure it out. But I would advise people to go to noagendashow.com and dvork.org slash na and help us out because we do need this income to pay the bills, and we need it on a uh, weekly basis. And we just keep uh, asking for it. And that's. But we don't interrupt the show, and we don't have ads, and we don't have codes, and we don't do all these crazy things that we could do. I mean, we'll do them on the website. I mean, you. You know, it's not a problem there, but I'm talking about this. We have one. We have, we have one link to Squarespace because we're using a Squarespace site. Yeah, that they gave us. Yeah, big deal. So, uh, I mean, we could fill a thing with ads. No, I don't want to. I just want people to give us enough money. I just want to quit my day job. That's all I need. And we would basically need what eight times the amount we're getting. Ten times the amount we're getting now. If we get ten times, look, we can do it. Together the we can pull it off. Slash NA, uh, go there immediately. Um, now give us, we're running out of time here. Yeah, you we're know, way you, over because there was, I, mean, I have a list of stuff we haven't talked about that would be perfect for a third show, which we just cannot do because I can't quit the day job. And quite honestly, you can't do it either too. You've got to do stuff that makes money. You've got to keep the home. You've got two homes. So why don't and you tell us children. you want to do the you want to do the Bacchus Bill thing on Sunday? No, with well, your I'll, no, no, I'll, I'll do it real, real, real quickly now. So um, 
in this bill, Section 2215, and I, and I read... Oh, by the way, it's nice they released it on PDF. And, of course, this was negotiated behind closed doors, not televised on C-SPAN, as our president promised us. So you got to go and see what... For, you know, there's like... There's all these special ex- exceptions for Nevada. Isn't Bacchus from Nevada, by the way? Someone's from Nevada. One of those guys is from Nevada. So there's all kinds of special except, exceptions. It's supposed to be the same for everybody. Universal health care. Section 2215... Temporary high-risk pools for individuals. In general, not later than one year after the date of enactment of this title, the secretary, that would be Sibelius, an anti-gun freak, shall establish one or more high-risk pools that provide to all eligible individuals health insurance coverage that does not impose any pre-existing condition exclusion with respect to such coverage for eligible individuals, blah, 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 blah. So if you read through all this language, which actually isn't too hard, I have to say the bill is pretty easy to read, they're going to be high-risk pools. And these high-risk pools will include people who own guns, people who fly planes, people who have cars that have a certain amount of uh, kinetic energy and can drive really fast, and you will have to pay more for your health care. It's in there. It's what I predicted, and it's going to happen. But it won't happen immediately. It happens one year after the bill is out, and then we're going to go after the guns. Yeah, they're going after the guns. I mean, they've been trying to go after the guns in every way they can, and they figure this is a this slip this one in. Who's going to know? No. But they're not really going after your guns. Hey, you can pay the extra money and keep yeah. your guns. Yeah. Let me just give you a bit of advice. Here's Adam Curry's financial advice, and I've been pretty right in the past. You could have bought put options on the Dow when I predicted it would go to eighty two seventy six. You could have bought gold when it was well under nine hundred dollars, and I told you it was going up. It's now near one thousand seventy. Here's my financial advice. When this bill passes eventually, the whole premise is you will be able to get insurance without pre-existing condition. Correct, John? Yes. That's a big part of it. So, Just what they said. Right. Yeah. So I suggest that you do not have any health care whatsoever. You pay the approximate $1,700 a year tax. It actually says in this bill the IRS tax. It doesn't say penalty. It says IRS tax, so it's an actual tax that's in there. You pay that, and if you get sick, God forbid, God forbid you get cancer or something big, then you just go to an insurer and you say, hey, give me some health insurance. You can't deny me just because I got cancer, and then you're good to go. I don't see, I don't see how, how anyone doesn't see this obvious loophole that's big enough to turn a 747 around in. Hmm. Doesn't that make sense? No, you cannot be refused. Okay. Hey, you know what? I got cancer. I'm really, it really sucks, but I need some health insurance so I can pay for it. So give me that pre-existing condition. Hey, you can't refuse me for that. Give me the health care. Well, I think some of our uh, uh, industrious listeners and producers should uh, look into this. You might be right. And that would be the loophole. Just say, screw it. I'll pay the tax. You know, which is, you know, a tax. It says tax. Which actually, is not, we're not supposed to say, no, we got no new taxes. And uh, it's not a tax. Yeah, uh, let me, Obama let me, said it wasn't a tax two or three times, but it's a tax. Let me just. Yeah, uh, you just pay the tax, and which is your, which would be like paying 1700 for old fashioned health insurance, which means, you know, you don't get, you know, $10 prescriptions or anything, but you got the insurance against a, you know, a bad situation, and you pick it up on the fly when you need it. 
So it's almost like you know it reminds me of C band. People, you know, realize it used to be the way satellite would people you have these big dishes in the backyard. You know, there's still some benefits to that now that they have it in, in stereo and they have it in high def, you can get these big dishes. I'm thinking of getting one. Because one of the things you can do is that there are various services around the country where you can just get HBO for a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't have to have a year round. You spend hundreds of dollars a month to get your your satellite dish. You get the free dish, which is C band, the big old dish. You get a receiver; it doesn't cost a nickel. And then when you want to see some movies on HBO, you go on the computer. You go on one of these systems. You say, "Yes, I want HBO now." Click. You got HBO on. You pay for two days of HBO. But you hit the button; it's off. And you're done. You're good to go. You, you've saved a fortune. Here it is, section thirteen oh one. Excise tax on individuals without essential health benefits coverage. It's right there. It's right there. It's a tax. Excise tax. What does excise mean? That's you know I've seen that word used a lot. I always thought it means just extra or an, an added tax or something like that. But let's look up the word. Excise tax. Here it is. Excise, sometimes called excise duty or special tax, is a type of tax. Excise duty is a tax levied on the producer of certain goods. It's a tax, ladies and gentlemen. It's a it's a targeted tax. It's a tax. That's what it is. It's a targeted tax. So again, you didn't have to read this bill, and I will continue to peruse it. There's also stuff about smoking, uh, which, by the way, you know, in universal health care. I mean, yeah, if if you're a smoker, you should have to probably be penalized but also if you are um you know if you eat crap and uh if you uh stay up late and if you drink and it's uh it's just not exactly an easy thing to put together but we need it it's like our necessary war in afghanistan we're going to pass this this year All right, sorry about the long show folks i, I can't help it and you know it's not like i i wasn't entertaining myself and don't forget, we got some. We had some good stuff in this show. We talked about, uh, yeah, what? I don't know. <laughs> I forgot. John Breck. John Breck. We got him. <laughs> John Breck. Coming to you, you from know, the minimum. They con- talk about the opium fields and the fact that we need a big surge in Afghanistan during the. Just winter remember, it's all fighting. John Breck. <laughs> it's called John Breck. <laughs> Go to noagendashow.com and help us out. We can use it. And uh, we appreciate everybody who, and really pr- greatly appreciate everybody who's contributing to this show. And I got a lot of notes, people saying, I, you know, I finally had to do it, you know. Yeah, it is highly appreciated. Coming to you from the Crackpot Command Center located in the minimum security containment cell in Gitmo Nation West, San Francisco, California. I'm Adam Curry. And uh, at uh, to be found at Dvorak.org slash NA and noagendashow.com, I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll be back on Sunday, same time, same stream, with no agenda.